been walking the same old road for miles and miles. Been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. Well, if you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, well, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or save, well, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves wanting from the same old fight. We've all run the things we know that just ain't right. There's a better life. Well, there's a better life. If you got pain, there's a pain take. Feel lost, well, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or safe, he's a prison shape and safe. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you believe, if you receive, if you can feel. Somebody testify If you believe If you receive If you can feel Somebody testify Testify If you believe If you receive If you can feel Somebody testify Testify If you feel lost, well, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shape and safe. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Yeah, if you got pain, he's a pain taker. Oh, if you feel lost, he's a way Scripture reading today is from Luke 6, verses 27 to 31. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. 
If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This ends the reading. Uh, It is great to be with you today, whether it's online or in person. Uh, Some of you know I got to go to the East Coast this last week on a trip uh, with my son Josh. It was a Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Boston trip that was supposed to be immediately after he graduated eighth grade. They pushed it back to fall break uh, in light of COVID and also we were doing that uh, this last week. And um, two things that stand out. Number one, the weather there was great. And I come home here, and it's just dumping rain. The other thing that was interesting was the question I keep getting is, what were the fall colors like? I'm like, archery out in the middle of our parking lot at Sierra Press is much more beautiful than anything I saw in all of my trip on the East Coast. So I'm thankful to be back home, thankful for God leading us safely through an adventure there. So we have been in this series throughout the fall called Leaning In. And through this series entitled Leaning In, we've been wanting to discern the guidance and direction God calls us and gives us in light of his coming kingdom. As the king, Jesus comes and inaugurates a kingdom and calls his subjects or followers to live in light of his rule and his reign. We then are meant to reflect his likeness, allowing Jesus to live in and through us as though Jesus were living out his life through ours. In this Sermon on the Plain that Jesus gives, it depicts the character God wants to cultivate in kingdom citizens. And it's really his character being uh, planted in ours, invested in ours, in order to transform our hearts and our lives. And one of the qualities or characteristics of God and that God wants to develop within his kingdom citizens is a love for our enemies. Now, throughout this series, what we've seen is that we're not actually blessed by being told or that we're better off for being poor, for mourning, for being hungry or having enemies. But what we're being told in the Beatitudes and now in the rest of the Sermon on the Plain as it continues is that God can bless us and build into us in spite of our greatest challenges and in fact in the midst of those. So these are not explanations uh, or ways that we develop a certain kind of life in terms of our own strength and ability. These are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. In other words, as Dallas Willard talks about in The Divine Conspiracy, these are circumstances in which we might find ourselves where we can find God present and his kingdom being developed and nurtured within us. In other words, even when we're hungry, even when we're maybe poor, even when we're mourning, even when we're struggling in conflict with others, even then God's people can be blessed. But these are not how-tos. The Beatitudes simply cannot be good news if they're understood as a set of how-tos for achieving blessedness. Then they would only amount to a new type of legalism. Rather, these are ways we experience God's presence in the midst of everyday life in some of the most difficult circumstances. 
we face in life. What we need to see here as we embrace this call to love our enemies is that God's love for us is our grounding source. In other words, as we experience God's grace, it leads us into a certain kind of life, not in order to earn or deserve God's favor, but to reflect his likeness. So as students or followers who have been called to live in light of who God is, we are growing and maturing. We're experiencing the presence of his kingdom unfolding in our lives and in our circumstances. And all of that starts with the depth of our understanding of God's love and how that then calls us to love others. 1 John 4, 10 through 12 says it this way. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is made perfect in us. In other words, we experience the depth, the wealth, the generosity of God's love. And that then compels us to give that love away in relationship with other people. In this now familiar passage, as we've been looking at Luke 6 for some time, we are told that early in the morning, Jesus goes out actually overnight and prays and spends time with the Father. Early in the morning, he calls disciples to him and names 12 of them to be his core followers. He then goes down the mountain and among a great number of people from all quarters, and he gathers people to listen to him and to be cured of their diseases. And we're told that everyone crowds around him wanting to touch him because power went out from him and he cured them all. And in this familiar context, we find Jesus relating to people and really transforming their understanding of this world. The key here is understanding that Jesus' kingdom is free and available to all even to those who are hungry, even to those who may be poor, even to those who are mourning and grieving, even to those who are struggling relationally with others. And in fact, it's in those circumstances that we may find ourselves more open to receive the availability of God's kingdom. And sometimes it's when people feel most hopeless, Most like, you know, wondering where God is and how he could be at work in any one situation that we experience God's presence and his touch and his transformation even more. So by proclaiming people to be blessed in various situations that might seem hopeless, Jesus is opening up the kingdom of the heavens to everyone. The gospel you see of the kingdom is that no one is beyond beatitude or blessing because God's rule from the heavens is available to all. Everyone can reach it, and it can reach everyone. Jesus here offers to all such people as these the present blessedness of the present kingdom regardless of circumstances. The conditions of life sought for is found here in transforming friendship with Jesus. In other words, in the midst of our different circumstances, as we draw in, lean in, and and depend more deeply on Jesus, we find his presence and his friendship. And that friendship transforms us. So the solution here is not striving to seek a blessing or earning God's favor by loving our enemies. 
The blessing found here is the gospel. The good news that Jesus came to save sinners, that God sent his son to pay the price for us and through his death and resurrection. And when we believe this and when we trust in Jesus, we then are enabled to forgive other people, to care for other people, even when they may be hurtful towards us, to have our hearts transformed. And instead of having our hearts hardened by various circumstances and challenges, we actually find Jesus softening our hearts and enabling us to go on loving even when things are hard. It's in this context that Jesus says, this is my word. For those who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to people who hate you. Bless people who curse you. Pray for people who treat you badly. So the first point I want to make in the message is that we are called to hear the call to love our enemies in light of God's love for us. In other words, the call to love our enemies will not make sense unless we understand the depth of God's love for us when we have made ourselves his enemies in our sinfulness. Several passages of scripture speak to this. For instance, James 4, 4 through 10. There it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or becoming an enemy against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In other words, when we live out the ways of the world, when we, when we live out the characteristics of the world, and when we, in times of conflict, we, we struggle and strive and we separate ourselves from other people, we either fight or we, we flee, what happens is we, we experience a distancing from God. And all of us in our sinfulness, at one time or another, have made ourselves enemies of God. Paul talks about this more in Romans 8. He says there in Romans 8, 7 to 8, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So when our mind is governed by the flesh, our instincts to want to get revenge or get even when people have hurt us, we essentially separate ourselves and make ourselves hostile to God because in, in, in separating ourselves from other people, we're really distancing ourselves from God and his love for us. But when we understand his love for us, then we're enabled to love other people. And God didn't love us, again, when we had gotten our act together. God loved us even when we were his enemies because of our sinfulness. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it well. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. The call to love our enemies, leaning into Jesus' teaching here, again, will only make sense if we understand how God has already done that for us in Christ. He has demonstrated his own love for us when we had separated ourselves from him. He comes 
through Christ, demonstrating that love, reaching out, proactively pulling us back into a relationship with himself. And when we grasp that and embrace that, then we're enabled to love other people. This is a challenge, church. And it's a challenge that we have in those times of disunity and division in a church or in relationships with other people. While I was on my trip, I read a book by Francis Chan called Until Unity. And there, challengingly, Chan says, we are currently the most divided faith group on earth, and there isn't a close second. He's talking about the Big C Church. Our Savior was crucified to end our divisions, and he commands us to be united. And he says we will impact the world when we become one. We need to stop thinking that our primary duty towards our fellow believers is to critique them. It is not. Our primary duty is to love them. Paul says we owe a debt of love to each other. Ken Sandy, in his book, Peacemaking, builds upon this principle, saying that Jesus tells us to love our enemies here and do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, uh, and even pray for those who mistreat us. Clearly, we are not released from the call to love our neighbor as ourselves, even when they're hating, cursing, or mistreating us. Instead of reacting in anger, And seeking revenge, God calls us to be merciful to us, to be merciful to them, to those who have offended us, just as he has been merciful to us. We cannot serve other people and love other people in our own strength and ability here. Again, it is not natural to us to love our enemies, is it? In our flesh, we, we want to separate ourselves. We want to, you know, show them that we were right and they were wrong. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to do a transforming work within us. To love other people as God has loved us. When Jesus says, you who hear me, at the start of the message, he's basically saying, there are going to be those who don't want to hear this. And you may have walked in today uh, carrying a hurt, some anger uh, towards somebody else, and you're hearing this and saying, I don't really want to hear this today. But God is saying, you need to hear this. We all need to hear this. When Jesus says, you who hear me, he's saying, open yourself to me. Open your ears to me. Open your mind. Open your eyes. Open your heart, your hands, your feet Be ready to move based on my teachings. The word love here, when he then says, love your enemies, is that great word agape. It's a certain kind of love, an unconditional love and favor. It's a genuine concern for someone else, irrespective of their attractiveness or the likelihood of any reciprocation in kind. Jesus spells out the specifics. He he tells us then what that love for our enemies is to look like. He says, we love our enemies by doing good to them. There are those who, who may dislike or even hate us, but Christ tells us to do good to them. To return hate would only be to perpetuate a cycle of hate and resentment that would lead to bitterness. Instead, 
We are called to break the cycle by doing good to those who hate us. Jesus goes on to say our love for our enemies comes through blessing people. There are those who may curse us, saying negative things about us or even wishing ill upon us. But Christ says to bless them, speaking well of them and wanting good things for them. Remember Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, if I were in Jesus's place and these people put me up on the cross and I have the power as a son of God to call down fire on those people to to destroy them, that's what I would likely do in my humanity. But in the midst of the greatest agony, the greatest pain, the, the greatest mistreatment that has ever occurred in human history, Jesus, involved in creation with the Father, come down to earth and having taken flesh upon himself, instead of calling down fire on them, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, that is love for his enemies. This love that we're called to is not a a love that we're called to in isolation. It's a love that's meant to be a replication of Jesus' own love for them and for us. Thirdly, Jesus says we love our enemies by praying for them. Instead of treating people badly as they have treated us, Christ calls us to pray for them. The significant spiritual truth that I have found here is that I cannot stay angry at people if I pray for them. It starts by prayerfully forgiving them and doing that again and again and again when feelings of anger reemerge. But then it goes on beyond that, even praying for God to bless other people who have hurt us, praying for their well-being and protection instead of wishing ill will upon them. I think about people who have been critical of me or my, of ministry, who, who have been hurtful in words that they've said, uh, people who may have left the church for one reason or another. I think of one particular example of, of someone who made some very hurtful comments and said things about me and my character that simply were not true. And there are times when anger comes up in relationship to that person where I still feel the the sense of hurt and anger at their words. And when that person comes to mind in prayer or while I'm on a run or any one circumstance, it is a time again and again to pray out, to pray through and to pray out that hurt and that anger, to not allow it to take root in my heart, in my mind. When I start playing the tape of conversations, and you may do this, playing the tape of conversations you've had in life, situations, circumstances of interaction where you're reliving it, so to speak, one of the practices I try to embrace is simply stopping the tape, stopping it, playing that conversation over in my mind, and just start praying for that person. And again, it starts by praying for forgiveness for them. But then it even moves on, praying out the negative feelings and emotions and trying to pray in the positive. Bless them. Lord, be near to them. Be good to them. That type of prayer literally can be transformational in our heart and in our mind. 
when we start to pray for people and ask God to forgive them, when we pray for people and release the hurt and anger that we feel. But I'm going to take this one step further and to say we, we love our enemies by praying for them. In the process, one of the things that can happen that Francis Chan talks about in that Until Unity book is this. That in honest, prayerful examination, you may discover that you are not as humble or as loving as you thought. You may, in that prayerful examination and as you're forgiving that other person and releasing the hurt and anger and praying blessing for them, start to come to realize your own complicity in that conflict. The things that you said that were hurtful. The place that you played in that division or differences. In those times, God can lead us to a place of humble confession where we come literally to the end of ourselves and a renewed experience of God's grace and mercy to realize that it's not just that other person who has perhaps become our enemy who needs forgiveness and who needs freedom, but we need forgiveness. We need freedom. And in humility and repentance, we start to recognize our own wrongs and the ways that we have separated ourselves from God in our own pride. And we come clean before God in a new experience of his forgiveness and freedom. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 is one of the great prayers that you can pray along these lines. There it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to encourage you to write down that verse, Psalm 139, 23 to 24. And at some point, an application of this message to pray that prayer, to allow those words to form on your lips and your your tongue, and then just allow space and time for God to minister to you to reveal anything to you that you may have done or not done that has caused division in relationship to other people. Where we often think about our enemies and what they have done to us, we need to prayerfully consider and discern what we ourselves need to repent over. Jesus goes on beyond this to say that we love our enemies by giving to them. We not only love them by by doing good to them, by blessing them, by praying for them, but we actually give of ourselves to them. Jesus says, if someone hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one. If someone takes away your cloak, don't stop taking them from taking your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you and do not ask for things back when people have taken them. Whatever you want people to do to you, do that to them. In other words, this takes on an even deeper reality, not just a spiritual reality where uh, we, we want to do good to other people to bless them and pray for them. It actually takes tangible shape and form where we actively seek to love other people in an incarnational, demonstrative way. Does that mean we allow them to abuse us physically? No. But it it is allowing them to work out their, their hatred in such a way that they are able to release it and be freed of it. One conversation I had along these lines a couple years back now, uh, comes to mind. 
Somebody had said some hurtful things to me and it it felt like there was still more there, that they still had more anger and frustration towards me. And I literally did this. I said, here's the other cheek. What else do you have? What other hurt do you have right now that you need to let go of? What else do you need to say? And I just sat with that person as they released more of their hurt and their anger and again said, is there more? And allowed them to process that. It was one of the hardest things I have ever done, to be honest. But in the end, I was able to hear them out and then offer them forgiveness and release that pain and that hurt. When we allow people to to, uh, do this, it's not about allowing them again to mistreat us, you know, just for the sake of that. It's about loving them in the ways that Jesus has loved us. It's about loving them beyond simply letting it go, but being proactive in our blessing to them. There's no teaching that Jesus gives that's more countercultural than the call to love our enemies. No matter what race or country we come from, uh, the call to love our enemies simply is not found in our, in our humanness or in our flesh. Our instincts go directly against it. But Jesus' call is to love our enemies by doing what we would want them to do for us. To not just not do the negative, but to actually love them in a way that reflects the positive. When we love our enemies by doing what we would want them to do to us, it's not just about not reacting or seeking to get even, but it's about loving them beyond that in a way that is proactive. Several people, teachers uh, over time, for instance, the Jewish rabbi Hillel, the Jewish historian Philo, the great Greek orator Socrates, the Stoics, or Confucius, have this teaching in the negative. For instance, Confucius says, is there, when asked, is there one word which may serve as a rule or practice for all of one's life? He answered, is not reciprocity such a word? Or Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to another. In other words, they, they teach it in the form of the negative. Don't don't do negatively what you want, what you don't want somebody else to do to you. But Jesus turns it around and puts it in the positive. In other words, when he says, do what you want other people to do to you, he's saying, be proactive relationally. Go out and love people, even when they don't deserve that love. Initiate that love relationship. Don't just you know, not react when they respond or or act hurtfully to you, but seek to proactively love. 1 John 4, 10 through 11 speaks to this. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but when God's love is present in us, it lives in us and has its, does its work in us. That love then calls us to love tangibly and fully, to not just do so spiritually, but to respond in that love physically. For instance, Deuteronomy fifteen seven through 8 says this, 
If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brothers. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you have put your hand to do. Similarly, Paul, writing to the Romans, says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious generosity thinking the best that you can do for the worst person and going ahead and doing it. Think of what you'd like someone to do for you and do it for them ahead of time. Think of people to whom you are tempted to be nasty and instead lavish generosity on them. These instructions have a fresh spring-like quality. In other words, when we love our enemies like this, it's going to spring up and, and, and be seen and observed as something different. Just like the tree in the center of our parking lot has, has popped out in fall color, love like this will stand out because this is what God is like. And when we love our enemies beyond our own limits and our own flesh, we help people see that this God is different and that there is a life that can be found in his name. Ultimately, loving our enemies is centered in Jesus' love for us. Jesus' whole life was one of exuberant generosity, giving all he'd got to give to everyone who had need. He then here is speaking of what he knew because he knew the extravagant love of his father and to the call to live a lavish human life in response. And remember, when they struck Jesus on the cheek, he turned the other. When they ripped the coat and shirt off his back, he went on loving and forgiving, as Luke will tell us later. Jesus didn't show love only to his friends, but to his enemies. He wept over a city that rejected his plea for peace. He was the true embodiment of the love of which he spoke. So whenever you feel like you don't have it in you to show this kind of love, remember the kind of love that Jesus has shown you. And remember, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, that kind of love is patient. That kind of love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. For love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Each aspect of Jesus' teaching here is a preview of the splendid reality which will be seen in its fullness only in the next world. But although we cannot hope to see this teaching lived out in its fullness, now we are meant to take a step towards that kind of kingdom and towards that kind of love, growing more and more like Christ ourselves each and every day. 
For God's plan and purpose is to conform you to the likeness of his son. And our purpose is to be open to that transformation and to go on loving other people as God in Christ has loved us. Amen? Amen.